welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin all of us in the tennis world looking forward to a championship weekend in New York, the U.S. Open Finals, to be settled this weekend. Regardless of who those finalists are, I can guarantee you we are in for some exciting tennis. But of course, it's worth noting there have been so many non-tennis storylines that have emerged during this U.S. Open. Of course, it started off all the way back in the Western and Southern Open. Naomi Osaka making the decision not to play her semifinal match in solidarity with with the Black Lives moment, we knew that was going to be an inflection point, a big moment in tennis's history. Of course, we learned a few days later, Vashik Pospisil, Novak Djokovic, John Isner, Sam Querrey resigning from the ATP Player Council to form the Professional Tennis Players Association. Of course, we've had Novak Djokovic getting defaulted from this event. We continue to have more information emerging about what the rest of this 2020 calendar is going to look like, the French Open, the events coming after. After that, what the protocols are going to be for all of those various events. Needless to say, beyond just the tennis, there's a lot going on in the professional tennis world. And of course, what we want to do here at Crack Rackets, keep things simple for you, keep you guys up to date on everything that's going on the way we do that by bringing on so many outstanding guests who are well-connected within the tennis world, whether it be players, coaches, members of the media. Today, I am joined by a fellow member of the media, one of my favorites, a returning champion here, of course, on our Crack Rackets podcast. You may know the work he has done for the Ringer as of late for the Guardian. Of course, I am talking about Tumani Cariel, who joins me once again to talk about, again, some of the biggest storylines right now in tennis, both within and outside of the U.S. Open. Things, of course, like the PTPA. Things, of course, like what the schedule is going to look like for the remainder of this season. Uh, But then we also talk about things like this year's U.S. Open. We talk about what we expect to see emerge this championship weekend, some of the conversations we think are going to come out of this event. It's, you know, it's always great to have Tumani on. There are a few people out there who think about the game the way he does, and he's always so well-informed, so well, you know, again, it's just always a pleasure to have him on the show. And so really excited for you listeners to hear today's conversation. We have a ton of fun as we always do. And, you know, again, there's so much going on in the tennis world. We know you guys probably, you want to keep up to date on all of the action in New York. You want to keep up to date on all of the action going on across the world. Of course, you can do that by listening to our mini break podcast day in, day out. But, you know, for Tumani and I, and I'll mention this in the podcast, uh, we didn't have an outline of topics. I just said, hey, you want to come on the pod? He's like, what are we going to talk about? I said, I don't know. We'll figure it out. And he was like, all right, that works for me. And we figured it out. It was a fantastic conversation. So, I really look forward to all of you hearing that. Of course, again, there's so much tennis going on right now across the globe, so much action for us fans to get in on. Hopefully, you've been listening to our GSP Ace of the Day podcast where we make our picks for what we expect to happen. And in case you want to get in on the action with us, you can with our friends at DraftKings. Here's how it works. You're going to create your DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. From there, you're going to make your first 
bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. DraftKings deposit bonus comes in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. Speaking of more details, you want to hear more details from my conversation with Tumani Cariel. So without further ado, here is our conversation on the U.S. Open and the rest of the incredible storylines going on right now throughout the tennis world. now on the podcast is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. And you listeners might be tired of hearing me say that, but I will never cease to get tired of the amazing guests we have on this show. Today's guest, of course, you know his work from across the tennis world, most recently his work for The Guardian, a returning champion to Monte Cariel. Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very, very, very good. You? I am holding in there. It's another day in paradise, as I mentioned. At this point, it's just nice to have tennis back in our life. The routine of getting up and saying, oh, okay, I've got 12 hours of tennis to consume. It's nice to have that routine back, right? Yeah, it's very it's very good. It's actually different now that we're in the second week of a slam, though. It, it, just, it does feel very strange that that's not the case, you know, because the, the, tour, the event is so streamlined. <laughs> just waiting for the semifinals without my, so much else. That's the different feeling, but... I share your feeling yeah. in general. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for you, I'm curious, how many years in a row had you been in New York? Not not many, actually. The The U.S. Open was one of the slams I hadn't been to that that many times. So I think I went two or three times. But So yeah, it hasn't been that big of a change. But still, you know, get, adjusting, being on American time in, in the U.K. is very strange and you know, I wouldn't recommend it to people. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't recommend it to people who want follow actually have to who have to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, without question, I was on a podcast with someone in Australia, and they were talking about the time difference. I was like, "Yeah, believe me, I knew the feeling in January. We've all been there." But you know, something I've asked our guests of late because something I've felt recently in particular, I am. I, Of course, I'll preface it by saying tennis is a better place when fans can be in the stadium, and we all look forward to that day. Hopefully, it will come sooner rather than later when we can get back to having fans and having crowds at these events, but... Maybe this is a byproduct for me of ESPN filtering in crowd noise. Maybe it's a fact that I'm just so excited to see tennis that the drama of the moment isn't lost on me, so I'm feeling the tension I would normally feel during a Grand Slam, but I just... I have, and maybe this is an indictment on tennis crowds in general as well, but, you know, barring a few moments here and there, I really haven't felt the absence of this crowd at the U.S. Open, and maybe, you know, I could be completely wrong about it. The only time I really think about it is either, A, when they're showing the pan-ups of all these players, and you're like, wow, you'd never see that normally, or when the commentators mention the fact that there are no fans in the crowd, and they seem to like to mention that uh, repeatedly, 
But I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. What has it been like for you to, you know, absorb this fanless event? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I always I felt that you know, following Challenger Tennis, following you know futures and 15ks or whatever, you know, you you as as some if you follow te- all of tennis, then you're you're watching matches without crowds on a daily basis. So. That was kind of my approach that, you know, although this is different and it's a slam, you know, ten- tennis is tennis. I think um, for me, the, I don't know, I always thought the, the strangest part is yet to come. It will be when the winner, you know, mm-hmm. lifts the trophy on Arthur Ashe Stadium in front of absolutely nobody. That that would be strange to me. Just because, like, even last week in, um, at the Western Southern Open, like, because, you know, everyone was... You know, when Djokovic played Raonic, there were actually quite more people there than in any other match because, you know, everyone was watching. But I don't know, to, to, that seemed really strange to me. But the actual competition, I don't know. I, I think there's actually been some value to it, just seeing, you know, it, it seems like the players are, because there's it's so silent, that the players are a lot louder. You know, they're, they're screaming more, they're shouting more. You hear them more. You know, I think watching... Serena in particular just because she's been around for so long and people have always questioned kind of her motivation and why is she doing this to see her like throwing everything into her matches to hear her breathing you know you know hard and fighting hard I don't know it it, it, I think it adds some extra it's given me more appreciation for I don't know just kind of the will and the you know the willingness to be out there regardless of whether there are people there or you know, who's watching. See, just so our listeners know, this is exactly what I was talking about, Tumani, when I said I did not send Tumani a good outline of topics today. I said, yeah, we'll just get on the pod. We'll find 30 to 40 minutes. I I know I'm going to enjoy picking your brain, and this case in point, you never disappoint. Uh, This is why we love having you on the show, because uh, right there, I think you made a perfect equivalent, and I didn't realize my bias here. I have spent so much time in my life, and again, mom, you're listening to this. This is why you do not have grandchildren yet. I'm also only 24, so Give me some time, Mama, please. But it's because I've spent so much time watching live streams of challenger events, of these futures or 50Ks, 75Ks, whatever it may be. And you're right. When you're watching those events, there aren't fans. And so you're used to hearing the uh, the anguish and you know the, the emotions of a player so directly. You hear the squeaks of their feet. You hear the ball striking their racket. And usually, you know, these pros at the U.S. Open do that, all of that at the highest level. And usually because there are fans or other noises drowning that out. You don't get to hear that, but you're absolutely right. You know, a guy like Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who I watched a lot of during this U.S. Open, he's just so spazzy. Like, his feet are always moving. You always hear the squeaks, or I've mentioned this before, but I was listening to the Chorich Zverev match. I was listening to the call of it on the ESPN app, but I just, you know, I was driving, so I wasn't watching the feed, and I knew that, exactly um, what I, I should just say that. Well, well done for not watching it. You, you were very lucky yeah. to not Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can just hear the squeak of his feet so well. Or to your point, Serena Williams. I have never heard Serena Williams breathing so deeply as I did in that match against Perankova. And from a fan experience, so it's twofold because that is the sort of thing you can hear and see and feel in person when you're at these events. And there's a reason that's why you pay money for the ticket, right? That's part of the allure of being in person, getting that experience that you don't get at home. But being at home, I've enjoyed hearing all of that. 
yeah yeah it's i think yeah in, in that sense it's kind of just just a, it adds value just to see have a different perspective and to see a different thing um i, I was also say in, in general i don't know that this, this like the past few months for me has been i don't know it's just made me appreciate that tennis is a good sport no matter like what the conditions are you know when we are just watching kind of exhibitions and you know uts or whatever or different score score um scoring systems i don't know you know even then that though i was entertained at points and you know and during that period and then now with no crowds i think there's entertainment there there's still drama there's still all of kind of what makes tennis good so i don't know i i feel like i've I've come out of this period just with an appreciation that you know just the, the way this sport the way this sport is played and just the way I don't know the, the competitive nature of it the fact that players are always wanting to you know when there's someone across the net and there's some even if there's not something enormous on the line um, players will buy in I don't know I, I feel like that's kind of been my my takeaway from the last few weeks and so to, to see to, to see it this do well a slam isn't really a surprise to me no, I mean, Daniil Medvedev mentioned this in his press yesterday. He talked about how he was surprised how so many of these uh, men are able to hold up in the three out of five sets, and it's the same deal with the women. So many of them have come out looking so fit, whether it's Vika coming out and putting together these two and a half weeks, Naomi Osaka, same deal, Jen Brady has been doing it for about six weeks now. I mean, it's just so impressive, the the form of these players, and this brings up an interesting tangent because I'm curious, I haven't thrown this idea uh, yet, you know, EXO's now in the back of our mind as we try and process this U.S. Open, but watching the exhibition period, seeing these players compete in funky formats, whether it be, as you mentioned, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, or whether it be the team event they held in Charleston, whether it be World Team Tennis, it just feels like seeing these players compete in a relaxed environment was really enjoyable, was different than the sort of grind you see week in, week out when the tours are rolling full steam ahead. But, I mean, scheduling conundrums are always going to be a problem on the ATP WCA tour. It's always, we play too much, and then, but these tournaments are like, well, we want to find dates to exist, and everyone wants to make money, obviously. But it does feel like after these five and a half months, seeing the way some of these exos worked, that there should be a point built into this tennis calendar, this schedule year in, year out, where things like UTS, World Team Tennis, Laver Cup, Davis Cup, Fed Cup, etc. can exist without having to compete with the usual rigors of the tour. Curious what you think about that. Do you think these exos, I mean, they were obviously the byproduct of extreme circumstance, but do you think there should be a place for them in the tennis calendar moving forward? I'm, 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 I think I'm, I'm open to change and I'm open to seeing kind of different formats in, in general as I mean as has been the the topic of conversation for a long time I, I do I mean in, in with regards to like UTS I, I do I do take issue with although I actually found it fine to watch I did take issue with the framing that you know the the premise of the event that basically tennis is dying mm-hmm. and 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 that's why we need it I, I don't think that's quite the case but I, I do you know I, I am quite willing to see change and to see different formats i mean i I do think that one of like with tennis i don't i think one of the 
tough things in tennis that we don't really talk about that much is just how much just just how much tennis there is you know how every week you know in a in a week outside of a slam there are upwards of you know four five six seven tournaments and you know unless you're a, a really unless you're a proper fan unless you're one of kind of the small group of people who who are fully into tennis and adapt their life to each week and each time zone not many people watch those events so I don't know I I, I like tennis the way it is I'm, I'm not but I'm also not against trying new things and seeing how they work out mm-hmm. no I mean look a big number that came out today that's obviously a topic of discussion on tennis twitter is the fact that viewing for this year's U.S. Open is down right now I think the number if memory serves me correctly is something like 46 percent on the uh, compared to last year and of course you know you have to keep in mind it's going up against the NHL the NBA playoffs obviously the return of football is coming as well and you know Kentucky Derby was this past weekend and those are just the U.S. numbers and you you know how is it doing around the world you, you can't really hold you know it, it's hard to tell right now and you know again a lot of there's a lot of other information that goes into it being 46 percent down are people not buying cable right now is a byproduct of them not having jobs you know so many different things yada 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 but uh it was definitely interesting i mean it it certainly was a different format i agree with you i reject the premise that tennis is failing but i do accept the premise that tennis can afford to change to try different things and i enjoyed the way certain uh elements of these events did try to do just that and again it was just fun to see these players in a relaxed environment it's been fun to see them uh playing again at this open billy jean king national center and it's just like they're all hanging around they're all watching each other's matches that's not something you usually get to see and so yeah i mean <coughs> excuse me i think it's certainly tennis has uh things it can take away from these past five and a half months and obviously you know the changes coming for professional tennis uh certainly they've been looming for a while but another story that just seems to have been swept under the rug. Well, not swept under the rug. There have just been so many storylines. Uh, Novak Djokovic, Vashik Pospisil, John Isner, Sam Query, ultimately all resigning from the ATP Player Council, forming the PTPA, the Professional Tennis Players Association. They've taken criticism uh, for a multitude of reasons, You know, one being no women were included in the initial launch, another being there's not really an exact platform yet, although I know Vashik Pospisil chatted with, amongst other people, Brett McCormick of Sports. Business Journal kind of talked about, hey, we're reaching out to players. We want to know the platform they want to see, and we'll kind of go from there. But I'm just curious, why do you think this was the moment that the PTPA was formed? I have this theory. It's, you know, these players are sitting around in New York. There's nothing else for them to do but sit around and chat. I think that certainly played uh, a factor in this being the moment Pospisil and Djokovic left. But curious your thoughts on the formation of the PTPA and why they chose this moment to move forward. So, so I think I mean obviously this the the idea of a player union, which is although the the players say this isn't it kind of basically is, but it, it's not a union isn't the I think a union a, a, an actual union isn't legal, but I, I think the the reason why this was the time is because of what happened at the Western and Southern Open, where obviously Guido Peya and Hugo Delian were forced to withdraw after their coach um after their their physio t- 
tested positive for coronavirus and then I mean there was obviously a lot of talk about false negatives false positives and all of that stuff after after the physio eventually tested negative and I mean I I, I really I don't definitely don't put much weight on the medical opinions of tennis players but I think that was one of the the kind of clear like rallying calls for players and you know then you had kind of the as in 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 Novak Djokovic's um the letter he sent to other players uh, also the uh, Naomi Osaka's decision to refusal to play um the tournament which in, in in eventually led to the tournament um pushing the the Thursday of play back to suspending the day and then returning on Friday and the players and Djokovic note said that he was not consulted, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those kind of, you know, this has been a very strange time and and I think that kind of helped to rally the players to really, like, make an immediate decision. I'm sure it helped that that Federer and Nadal weren't there, that, I don't know, it's just, as you say, like, everyone's kind of cooped up and a bit on a bit on edge because these, these are strange times and, and that's what led to it. Um, and, yeah, I guess you... you want my opinion on it um I, I don't like for me I firstly I, was, I, was, I did find the just the reaction from the tennis governing bodies and you know how qu- quickly that how scared they clearly were I found that quite amusing to be honest I, I, I don't really like my, my you know I, I, I fully kind of I believe in unions and I, I believe that you know that workers should kind of you know come together and um, you know, make sure that they can fight for whatever they feel they need to. So seeing kind of the employers, if you were a bit kind of on edge, you know, given that there are very real kind of issues in terms of the way the, the prize money and the way the toss finance, that, that just made me, that just amused me to be honest. But I do like, for me, my, my issue just with that has, has always been not the, the, idea of a player union but just what the the judgment of of the people involved and I think we 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 saw and the people kind of at the forefront of it and I think we we saw kind of a a clear example of this with the the situation that unfolded with the players who were forced to quarantine after coming into contact with Benoit Pair and and obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic where a hundred and I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time I checked it was like 180,000 people had died in the States, like maybe okay. uh, 32,000 in New York. And so, you know, th- there, there are strict kind of guidelines for a reason. And if players, I don't know, if if players had their way, then they would have made sure that all the players gone to the court regardless, you know, because they had a couple of ne- negative tests when, I don't know, I, I think there is reason for you know if you're going to enter a country that has has had this experience with the virus and i think there's a reason for the strict protocol so i i think that kind of it's those kinds of judgment and that make give me pause about what would happen but in i don't know in in general i i i i'm fully kind of i, I believe that there's a kind of a, a big problem with you know with prize money with the obviously the gap between what people earn at the top and in challenges and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I think to to your point, I completely agree with you. There were clearly some inciting incidents here. Uh, the Guido Pea, uh, Hugo Delian, and their trainer testing positive. Those two being removed from the event. One of them, what happened with the Western Southern Open. Not that players disagreed with uh, the USTA's decision to move uh, to cancel Friday's matches, push or Thursday's matches, push everything a day. Uh, it's that they felt they weren't con- consulted. And then, yeah, you know, the fact that they're all around, they all kind of, all of those factors kind of came together in one moment. And, you know, it's so fascinating because had there not been, you know, you talk about these strict protocols, uh, the ATP, I think today, but it came out late last night, announcing uh, a couple of new events in the 2020 calendar, a couple of events in Germany, one in Italy, one in Kazakhstan. And it's just going to be fascinating to see, because again, you had the PTPA, you had Naomi Osaka and, uh, you know, Western and Southern canceling Thursday's matches. You had the pair 11 and you had all these testing protocols. And because there have been so many stories, then Djokovic gets eliminated. Now it's, you know, Serena versus Vika. They've all kind of been thrown under the rug because there've just been so many of them. The news cycle keeps shifting so quickly. Um, but with these new events, with all of these players traveling, with just all of the exposure they're going to have, some of these events now are allowing fans on site. And I'm not speaking to whether those countries are in a position where they feel comfortable to allow fans or not. That's their decision. But inevitably, there are going to be more conflicts between what players want to do and what these safety and health uh, uh, guidelines dictate they are allowed to do. And so I just think all of these inciting incidents led to this moment. And it's a fascinating dynamic because Pospisil has said for now they're not planning on boycotting any events. They're not planning on, you know, really separating from the tour. But inevitably someone's going to test positive. And I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. Of course we're not. God willing, nothing negative will happen. Everyone will be smooth. We'll get to play all of these events. But you can just see these conflicts where they might emerge over the course of these next two months, right? Because so much is up in the air in the ATP schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, the, the next... On the thing on the horizon is is Paris, which is experiencing, you know, the cases are rising, and so yeah, I, I fully agree that this was this is not kind of, this is just the beginning and and the the first kind of step, and we've already seen how much conflict and frustration and reaction that you know players being unable to play has gotten, and we'll see more. And it's I don't know with with tennis is just it's particularly interesting and not funny but just. Because, you know, obviously there have been positive tests in other sports, but, you know, generally players, you know, when, when a team sport, when one player on the team is sick and it doesn't really affect anyone else, then life goes on, right? The player, so far, like, there hasn't, I don't think there have been any athlete who's gotten really sick and and those cases that have been kind of low symptoms or asymptomatic, you know, they get better and then they return. Whereas in tennis, it's such an because of it's an individual sport there's such an upheaval you know one case is has a dramatic effect <laughs> so i think that's going to be the issue going forward and and as you say like it's the reaction the player reaction and how it's, it's going to be interesting and just to see i don't know i, I just I, is is this always going to be the case with players you know uh, expressing their frustration at the public health guidelines will will at some point the other shoe drop that like this is how it has to be because we're in the middle of a pandemic i mean i, I hope it's the latter but i'm not that hopeful
Mm-hmm. No, I mean, look, again, there are so many more playing opportunities. And yeah, it's certainly going to come up. It's hopefully, again, we are wishing for the best. We are hoping uh, that there, every player will be fine. They will continue to test negative. There will be a frequency of testing between all of these events. They'll be able to coordinate. But uh, you sort of mentioned this as well. Uh, I have never seen the slams, the the federations coordinate a statement faster than they want they coordinated speaking against the ptpa in favor of the current structure and look again some of it is Djokovic and Pospisil uh, lead a group of people who are just saying nope the current structure is no longer acceptable we want to build a new foundation for ourselves and again these issues have existed and no one these issues have existed in tennis for quite a bit of time what the federal Nadal camp are arguing is we can fix it from within the system Djokovic Pospisil camp arguing no, uh, we need to just start anew and rethink the way we do these things. And again, it's so much is going to continue to unfold. It's really hard to know what the PTPA is part uh, is fighting for because you know it's kind of unclear what they are fighting for at this point as well. I don't think they would even have the answer either. But yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of tennis still to be played in 2020. Yeah, and I'll just add on that. You know, I think just there are just certain things about kind of what has been said that just I don't know it, it gives me pause you know you, you mentioned the mm-hmm. interview that Vashik Pospisil did with um uh, sports business journal right or um mm-hmm. yeah with Brett McCormick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like um you know one of the, the issues which people very quickly kind of note responded to was Pospisil saying that it's it's difficult to know the financials of of slams when you can actually find that information quite easy you know you can find like Wimbledon some at least some of Wimbledon's financial information quite easily and you can it's you can make conclusions from that on, on where their money is going to so I don't know that there are things like that that just again just give me pause and you know we, we still as you said we still don't really know you know they clearly don't know much about it other than feeling like wanting to get a, a super majority of players to on their side but even then can 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 a union really represent only some players or or what an association only represent some players well i don't know that there's just a lot you know it's this period has just left me with more questions and i'm sure that's the same with a lot of people no, absolutely. Look, if you're going to call yourself the Professional Tennis Players Association, you know, uh, women are professional tennis players, guys. Uh, come on. Like, what are we doing here? That's just bad branding. Um, but yeah, it's also the same thing. It's reported they want to represent the top 500 in singles, top 200, I think, in doubles. But like, what does that look like? What are the common things everyone's fighting for? Better prize money? Well, what sort of better prize money? How do you reallocate the, you know, the prize money accordingly, the revenue share between these tournaments and these players and you know, well, what about the dirty secret of appearance fees? There's a lot of money that could be unlocked for these tournaments if they didn't have to pay absorbent amounts to these players just to show up. And again, these are a lot of, there's a lot of un, unsaid things that uh, just need to be figured out. And so absolutely, this is a developing story for now. Uh, all of us obviously locked into the final week uh, weekend of action in New York. And that's the last thing I want to talk about with you today, Tumani. And again, I could keep you for four hours, but I, I don't want to do that to you because eventually these women's matches will go on today um but let's talk a little bit about what we're going to see this championship weekend here in new york and let's start on the women's side and 
you know, you talk about the semifinals we're going to see today uh, in Naomi Osaka, Jen Brady, Serena Williams, Victoria Azarenka. I think no matter what, we're going to be treated to a really fun final. But just your thoughts on the way this event unfolded. It's so funny, right? Because all of us knew there was a ton of parody coming in. And in the end, we get Serena, Naomi Osaka, we get Vika, and then we get the player who is playing as well as anyone coming into this event in Jen Brady. It's like, okay, I guess these results aren't that shocking. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I was kind of once the semifinals were set, I was kind of just looking back at old semifinals, trying to figure out when the last lineup as good as this was, you know. And I, <laughs> it's it's been a long while, maybe since Azarenka's last semifinal. Um, and yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, on what firstly, I think it's interesting just because they're all obviously big hitters, and over the past kind of few years, it's actually been you know, a, a lot more of the kind of the movers or, or the defensive players have had more success in, in slams, the players who can be solid, you know, whether it's Halep or Wozniacki or, I mean, Kerber or whoever. And so, you know, this has really been the ter- terrain of the big hitters with the the fast courts, which, I mean, that doesn't always suit big hitters, but clearly it has um, this time around. And also the, the players who did who stayed at home compared to the you know, the players who decided to travel. And yeah, I just, what do I think will happen? I, I mean, I mean, obviously we're speaking before the semifinal and it's, it's funny, like the, the three, the three, you know, for Brady, Osaka and Azarenka, I think they've all played like really incredible tennis, you know, in terms of form, I'd say Serena's probably fourth in terms of like the level of play mm-hmm. like that they've exhibited you know, Serena's been the one who's just been fighting tooth and nail. You know, coming back from her set down. You know, recovering in to to win a th- to win third set. And so I don't know. I I kind of feel like if Serena was to actually do this, it would be for me. It would actually be one of her best achievements, to be honest. For her to like elevate her level to what it would need to be to beat Azarenka, who's just been insane, and then to beat you know, either Osaka or Brady in the final, you know, that that would that would be really, really, really impressive after all that's happened and, and all of that stuff. So, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it's, Serena's definitely got kind of her work cut out against Azarenka. And I don't know. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. Osaka's been playing amazing tennis and, you know, she's back to the level she was when she reached, um, won her two slams. And it's, it's interesting that, the, two, the only the two times she's ever reached semifinals of slams, she won them both. So, you know that when she plays well, she wins. And yeah, and then you have Brady, who's the most improved player of the year. And that's yeah. And so it's no surprise that she's there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just hilarious that in 2020, we get Vika Serena 23, uh, and just like that was not what we expected. And to be honest, you know, by the time you listeners hear this, they, the final will already be set, but um, I just... I agree with you that I think Naomi Osaka right now, she's hit that level like she did in the end of 2018, start of 2019, where it's just with the serve, with her overwhelming power. When she plays her best, she's the best player in women's tennis. And that's not to be disrespectful to Jen Brady, Vika, or Serena, who are all playing right, you know, well right now to various degrees. But I just think it's unequivocal. I think that's how good she's been. And yeah, I mean, 
You know, it, it, it it's so interesting. I think you nailed it perfectly. Serena definitely comes into this in the worst form of the four players still alive in the draw, and yet it's the way she's competed. She's done it now for five weeks since her return to tour. It's just been ugly tennis, but she continues to find a way to win, and I don't know. I think... I think we're going to get the Vika Osaka final we deserved in the Western Southern Open final. I think those have just been the two best players in New York. But certainly, you know, I saw this line of Twitter thinking, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, but, you know, it's the podcast, so I get to air this grievance here. Nothing makes me more upset than lazy criticism of the media. Oh, media members said this, or I heard everyone was saying this person wasn't a dark horse, or everyone was saying it's like, A, no, everyone wasn't saying that. You read one tweet, and now you are, you know, categorizing everyone under this one tweet you read. Like, relax, person. I just, that, it, it's a byproduct of other things going on in the country. We don't have to get into that. The easiest thing in the world nowadays is bad the media. I wonder why. I wonder who made that popular. We Again, we don't have to do that right now. Um, but it, it just, it infuriates me to no end. And there's this line of thinking is, oh, all of the members of the media, and usually they'll be like, oh, Ben Rothenberg said there. I'll just say the name too that people usually rip on since, you know, I love Benny. And so I feel like I can, I can rip on him because I would say this to his face. Um, never criticize someone you wouldn't say it directly to their face. That's the other thing. If you're going to criticize someone, own up to it. Um, but anyways, 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 see, this is where the tangents come into mind. Like I said, we can go up until the women's semifinals if you want. Um, but yeah, yeah, but I was going to say, rounding back into rounding back to my point, because there was a point to this statement, there's this lazy criticism going out today that, oh, everyone was saying the women's, sem- the women's tournament was depleted, that this wasn't going to be interested, that there weren't six of the top ten players, and so who cares about this women's event? That's not what people were saying at all, and that's why this particular line of criticism has bothered me. People were saying two things, and it's always, you know, two things can be true. A, it's absolutely a story that six of the the top 10 players aren't playing this event. It's absolutely a story. It's absolutely going to influence the way the draw looks. It's going to influence who plays who when. Uh, That's a factor, and it needs to be discussed. You're doing a disservice to the event if you don't bring up that context. Part B... Everyone I talk to, and, you know, we have a lot of returning champions here at Cracked Rackets. I like to think we get around, but, you know, we're the, (laughs) he's a friend now, so I can say this, we're the Sasha Bajin of, you know, the tennis media world. Everyone's coming on our podcast, new people, Um, but we, the the point is, um, you know, everyone was saying what's so exciting about this tournament is how up for grabs it is. It's the fact that legitimately 50 women could have made the round of 16. Legitimately 30 women could have won this event, and that added to the excitement of it all. Now, the fact that it ended up with Serena, Brady, Osaka, Vika, four players we all know well at this point, that's just a coincidence. That doesn't take anything away from, I think, any of the pre-tournament coverage saying this was going to be a toss-up. I apologize for that rant to Mani. If you have any thoughts to it please let me know it was a very good run i'd actually like to like just go back to the players themselves just you know what you mentioned osaka and how you said she's the best player when she's playing her best and i just i don't know i just find her so interesting as a player because mm-hmm. you know obviously one of the things we're waiting for is a, a, a top star who can consistently compete and win slams and you know just do it to re- replicate it and so far osaka i think she's won five titles and Two of them were slams. Yeah, I think yeah, I think two of them were slams, which isn't a lot. You know, that's a <laughs> that's a big proportion of your titles to be slams. Yet there's these little kind of she's shown like in in little bits that she is capable of 
stringing this together, you know, whether it was winning slams back to back, whether it was the end of last season, end of last season when she went on a great run in Asia and and then now, you know, where she, you know, hit the ground running at the Western Southern Open and is playing great again. So I just, I'm, I'm just really curious to see like to what extent, you know, going forward, even if she doesn't win this slam, just how, how much she can, how frequently she can replicate it and if she'll reach a point where, you know, in terms of mentally and, you know, how, you know, outside things come and affect your play, whether there will be a level of kind of consistency because that, that would be, that would be really great for tennis, clearly. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with you. And obviously, uh, and I talked about this with Nina Pantic on the podcast um, for Naomi, or she brought up this point, the fact that for Naomi, it's to be doing all of this while also still using her platform off the court to be so active and just the balancing between the two, the fact that she clearly has so much going on for her off the court right now, so much that she is trying to achieve. And yet she gets in between, you know, the, those lines on the tennis court and it's just laser focused that serve has just been so exceptional throughout this event. And obviously, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about the Western and Southern Open, the USTA, the ATP, the WTA's decision to stand in solidarity with Naomi Osaka, her uh, leading of this moment to cancel Thursday's events. That's something, another story that has not received nearly enough coverage of what a moment that was in player empowerment within the sport. But, you know, as impressive as she's been off of it, she's been that good on the court as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'd actually say that she's actually done a good job of using that for you know to, to the benefit of her success. I mean, I, I feel like it's this is true with with Azarenka as well in a completely different way. Just that so for so for so many players like tennis, you know, everything revolves around tennis. But once you, once you realize that it's not that important, you know, it's still important to them. But that there's that a world exists beyond tennis and. I think that can make you more focused in some way. And, you know, you aren't kind of, uh, you know, I mean, if if you remember, like at the beginning of the year, Osaka played terribly, really, when she lost to golf at the Australian Open. And then she played Fed Cup and she was like crying on the court. <laughs> so I, I think once you get that perspective, um, I think that can really benefit the tennis. So although she does have a lot going on, at the same time, I think maybe it's kind of just kind of made what she, what she's at what happens on the court a bit more manageable and a bit less stressful mm-hmm. no i think to your point in looping it with azarenka and honestly i'm going to throw Parankova in there i'll throw zavana reva in there there's you know i, I serena is a whole different category just because she's serena williams and regardless of anything else i just think the freedom they've all played with and you know Obviously, a huge story was the fact that we had four moms in the uh, playing yesterday on Wednesday, and that's such a big moment for the sport. And you know, it does a disservice to just identify them as moms on tour. They're also exceptional tennis players, some of the best in their craft ever. You know, in the case of Vika and Serena, and they deserve to be lauded for that. You know, they as much as the fact is they're doing it as they are also mothers. But it's just the freedom they're all playing. With. You can see the perspective that they they all play with. Like Parankova, I swear to God, Tumani, she didn't miss for four days in a row. Like I swear to God, every forehand slice just found the some sort of sideline or just every little cross-court angle dropped in. I mean, she'd slap an 82-mile-per-hour serve down the tee and it would be an ace. And you're just like, what is going on right now? 
there's just a freedom, <coughs> excuse me, that all of these women right now, Jen Brady, throw her in there as well. The confidence she's playing with, it's palpable. It makes the viewing experience so enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's probably as, you know, partly to do with motherhood. I can't say I'm not a mother, but, <laughs> but it's, it's also just kind of, I think the, the, also being a grown up, I don't know, just, you know, you mature. As Azarenka did speak a lot about that also in her last press conference, just that she had to go on this route of maturation and reach the point where she, she was, her, she as well was no longer, like in the past, she'd lose a match and, you know, be miserable for two days, even when she was at the top of the sport, you know, one loss would debilitate her for two days, or more or less. And, but now, you know, she, now if she loses, okay, that was bad. There's another opportunity. And, and yeah, and so you, you absolutely you're seeing this freedom, you're seeing this happiness. It's it's particularly great with Azarenka as well, because I mean, as we've said, kind of, you know, if you look back at her results, I was just I was looking at today. Um, between 2012 and 2013, she made, she made she won two slams, she made two US Open finals, and she made semi-finals of French Open and Wimbledon each. You know, she was the player you thought was gonna go on for so long, and you know, even if not win like a million slams. You know, she'd be present. She'd be. She was consistent. And then, the way it fell off with the first injuries, and then obviously, kind of what happened after she came back with her, after she came back from pre- her pregnancy. You know, I mean, she got pregnant at the exact moment she seemed to be in the midst of a career revival, and then has had struggled for various reasons afterwards. So, I think it's it's she's it's been a long journey and a long route, but. I think it's good to see someone of that quality and talent and ability just playing well again. And it's such a value add, I think, to to women's tennis to see her, you know, going deep in, in tournaments again. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, we talked about this a lot on our Cracked Rackets podcast coming into this event. But, you know, it's the fact that you have this generation of young players, Osaka, Kenin, and Rescue nipping at the heels. You've got these 24 to 25 year olds in Jen Brady, Annette Conteve, Elise Mertens, Maria Sakari, uh, Donna Vekic, all N- Madison Keys nipping at the heels as well. And then you've got Halla, Pliskova, Azarenka now clearly. And then of course, Serena, Venus, and Kim Kleisters. It's just like every level of the women's game right now, there's depth, there's talent. You know, you want to go even younger people like Coco Goff, Katrina Scott. You're just, you know, you're all in who, uh, Maria, uh, Marta Katsuk, who obviously look so great against Naomi Osaka that's another young name you can just you can literally pick them off a list and you're just like yep her yep her okay maybe not her but sure throw her on there why not um it's literally it's like when you're at Kroger and they're like hey take 10 cliff bars for eight dollars and you're like well at that point sure I'll take all 10 might as well pick this I'll get a you know a chocolate peanut butter I'll get a chocolate brownie I'll throw in all the different flavors I'm winning this deal that's what the women's game right now is as a fan you're winning this exchange because regardless of how this weekend turns out I promise it's going to be exciting tennis quickly on the men's side Ben asked me this question I'm totally going to steal it from him and ask you this is there any disappointment for you that we're going to see a new Grand Slam champion emerge and yeah Karina Busta technically beat Djokovic but the fact that we're not going to get to see one of them beat a Djokovic a Nadal a Federer I'm going to say a Murray too in a late stage uh to get over the hump here Do, are you sad that we're missing that opportunity for me I think there's a poetry in it I think it's we always knew it was going to be mother nature who defeated these people or extraordinary circumstances not one of these players and so I choose to 
see the comedy in it. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. It does seem kind of fitting that, I mean, that it wouldn't, you know, these guys, the big three have just been around forever and we've been waiting and waiting for someone to do it. And yeah, that, that it's coming in these circumstances. Yeah, it's, it does seem fitting. Um, yeah, I, I don't kind of, I mean, as I'm, I don't really care for the whole Asterix talk. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm, it's been interesting to see, like, as, as we mentioned earlier, just to see like the reaction, just how much Djokovic not being in the draw, draw changes things. And we got a, a lovely taste of that with Zverev and Choric, which was just a really nervy match. And, you know, Zverev mentioned that it does, although he didn't kind of want to go into detail on, on it, he, he mentioned like it when, when, I think I asked him like why he was, why he started so poorly. Like that was one of the reasons. What you know, he mentioned that Djokovic wasn't there, and that clearly there's extra pressure. So I think that's interesting just to see, some a complete change. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I I don't, I don't know. I I think it would have been one actually one of the interesting things. It was interesting to see. Um, the I think yesterday, Christopher Clary kind um tweeted up, wrote a tweet asking people if um you know what wh- who which winner would be more valuable for the um for tennis i think over as as a global sport and people you know risk looking at the responses and that and i re- it made me realize that you know coming soon is the same kind of endless discussions about marketability and all of that all of that stuff that has kind of sustained women's tennis for the past decade just like who you know who's but who's the who should be the new face of tennis who's who's more marketable who's gonna sell more things and i'm not excited for that to be honest i'm not excited to to hear people reasoning that like zverev should win because you know he's blonde and you know people like that i don't know that <laughs> you know <laughs> he's tall and blonde so you know he's better for the tour um so yeah, yeah. that that aspect is going to be weird just to watch unfold after kind of Ten, men's tennis was kind of you know it was three people with huge kind of recognition already and so so yeah but I'm, I'm curious just to see like a more open tour and starting with here you know I, I think most people at least it seems like most people generally believe that probably you know one of Timor Medvedev have you know they've in the last two slams both were one set away from winning their first time titles against Nadal and Djokovic and it feels like that it does at least to me it feels like this is for them really this is the one one of the whoever wins the semi-final it's their tournament to lose really it, just in terms of like mm-hmm. h- how close they've gotten before but I don't know he, we, we'll, it's it remains to be seen how any of these players will handle the pressure of not being the underdog Mm-hmm. No, I mean, to your point uh, about marketability, first of all, this will always be a safe space for you, Tamani. We won't talk about that, I promise. Um, but yeah, you know, the reason Federer, Nadal, all of the, you know, Djokovic, uh, all of these players are marketable is first and foremost because of the success they had on the court. And before any of these players could, yeah, exactly. And so before we can have any of these debates, although. <laughs> 
Oh, you're gonna be like, well, are Zverev's eyes blue enough? And it's like, yeah, they kind of are. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a reason he's out there shirtless, folks. Like, he knows what he's selling. Uh, yeah, um, but I like, yeah, I, I read. Sorry, I was, I was gonna say I read like a whole like conversation of people trying to decide whether or not Zverev was han- actually handsome. You know, like, is he handsome? <laughs> you know, does he actually appeal in that way? Come on, like, come on. Are you kidding? Do you know how many times? And this is not to criticize because, again, I love tennis Twitter. I love every part of it, the weird parts, the annoying parts, all of it. It's why I'm here, folks. But if I have to see another Borna Chorich butt photo, like every <laughs> like you're, you're just every time he plays, you're guaranteed to see at least six during the course of the match, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I feel as as worn out by that, but for team. <laughs> To be honest, <laughs> honestly. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the Berrettini wave is coming. You know it. You can just see it for all of these players. And so, uh, yeah, I agree. We, I'm not ready to have those discussions. I am definitely ready to see, though, who's able to step up, who's able to emerge as champion. So with that in mind, my final question for you, the worst question any journalist can hear, Tumani, give me your picks for your men's and women's champions. Mm. I'll go with, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'll go with, mm, I think I'll, uh, wow, okay. I think I'll go with Medvedev, Medvedev, mm-hmm. and um, Osaka. Oh, that's my pick. I like that pick. No, uh, both good picks. I will say, again, Daniil Medvedev, since we're on the topic, sneaky receding hairline. Sneaky. It's sneaky. not really sneaky I, anymore, someone... is it? <laughs> I'm just saying, as someone who's also there, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel. Yeah, he, it definitely makes him look older than you know. He's he's still very young, but it does give him a more mature look. Which fair enough. Oh yeah, no, there will be a Davidenko phase for sure. He'll go. He'll shave it. It'll it'll come. We'll we'll get there together. I think he and I. But yeah, no, two very good picks. I like them both. I'm with you on the Osaka train, but not on Medvedev. So I'm not against the Medvedev. Here's the thing. I can't pick the men's side, and I know that's a cop-out, but if I don't pick Alex Zverev and he wins, I'll hate myself. Like, there will just be a reflection period. I'll have to hang up the mic. I'll have to be like, Alex, why did you do this? You should have never lost faith. Meanwhile, if I do pick Alex Zverev, it's a guarantee to go wrong, and I would never do that to him. Um, And so, you know, because, again, blonde hair, blue eyes, hello. Um, But, no, it's just – it's – I think Medvedev's. Uh, I think Medvedev's the pick. I like. I, I do think it's a great pick. I just think three out of five sets. How do you beat him when he can? He just has. You know. I always talk about a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. He's got the entire alphabet. It's like, oh, I'm cramping. Okay, I'll just slap two serves and serve in volley, yeah, and volley, yeah. and it freaking works. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He it does just. Mm. But I mean, I mean, team also played very well. Like against Imano, he that that was a really, really, really good performance. It was, it was funny just to think, just watching him, just to think that he 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 lost to Filip Krajinovic, winning two return points two weeks ago. But yeah, it's, that, it's that, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> but um, two return points. I'm I'm not gonna ever get over that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think no. Like, the the new rule to money I was gonna say is if you win less than four return points, like yesterday for Elise Mertens on the second serve, you can just throw out the match. It's like we don't need to look at this one. It's fine. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair rule. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I do like to be honest. It, it would have been cool if if Medved Medvedev, even though I could easily see Zverev just kind of, 
you know, he, he's not had the toughest draw, let's, let's be clear here. He hasn't played a top 25 player, I think. And But I could easily see him just, like, getting to the final and then just standing and delivering and, and winning his first slam. But I, I don't know, it, it, did, it does feel like, just from what's gone on over the past, like, year, that Medvedev team just feel, feels like... I don't know, it, it feels like it should be a final in some way, even though should isn't, you know, in sports there is no should. But it, it, it just feels like a really big match and there's not much, like I was saying yesterday, there's not really much data. They played a couple of times, but team was sick um, when they played in, in Montreal. Team killed killed him on clay, which doesn't really, you know, it's not really relevant at all. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious to see that match up on the big stage for the first time and it will be the first time of many. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the most ceremonial finish would have been had Medvedev beaten Nadal and sort of crowned off that incredible breakthrough summer. That would have been the ceremonial passing of the torch that we're all, I suppose, looking for if you're looking to craft the narrative of men's tennis. But yeah, this is a really good outcome. I mean, Zverev, Medvedev team, all players were, and Karina Boost, that's not fair to not include him in that. I'm just talking about people who have been the heir apparents in their career. They've all held that title at some point. And so it's not surprising to see them there. Of course, that means Crano Boost is going to win the title. Um, so, of course, we can all get excited for that. I will also say, Daniil Medvedev's sneaky, fun interview, right? He's oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he, he's one of like he's one of my favorite player interviews because he's, as you said, like he's just very honest. Like he, he he doesn't really have much of a filter, and I don't think he cares for one. He just says what he thinks, and you know, take it or leave it, and, and you know, generally. I think it's, I don't know, I think it's cool as well because he clearly doesn't really care like that much what people think. But at the same time, you know, what he says, like in, in media at least, it's not, I mean, all of it is, you know, I think it endears him to people. Whereas obviously you often see kind of with players and uh, I don't know, some agents and whatever, like they'll, I mean, media, the concept of like media training is players, you know, get putting a filter on and, and not, not, saying things that well saying less basically so I, I appreciate that he's both refreshingly honest but also he, he comes he comes across well when he does speak mm-hmm. no i completely agree with you you know a wise man once said self-deprecation builds trust i think that's what he does a lot as well he's very self-deprecating just as easily will criticize himself as he will criticize anyone else but um again i've I, you use the term very endearing there's something about him that's just it's very likable and in the same way you get to see all of Tsitsipas the good and the bad you get to see that with Medvedev as well and I think for a younger generation of player I think that's what we're going to start to see to expect with them right with Shapovalov you get the wrapping you get the emotion on his sleeve same thing on the women's side Diana Yastremska you see all of her Naomi Osaka she's going to tell you exactly what she's thinking it's going to be in an unorthodox way but she's going to do it and Again, I, we talk about marketability for the future. That's absolutely a net positive for the future of the game. It, it is just also interesting to me, just like, as you said, just to see how all of these young players are like reacting to being in the spotlight from such a young age. Because, I mean, if, if you think about Federer, for example, you know, he's, he's so huge now, but how we don't really have, because of it was there wasn't the social media generation, young Federer, you know, that there wasn't much, you know, he was able to kind of grow up and and you know throw his rackets out of the out of the mm-hmm. limelight. Whereas even if you're kind of even if you're not you know top twenty by eighteen years old, you're still kind of 
you know, everyone can see what's going on. Everyone can see watch all your matches and see all your press conferences and come to an opinion. And so seeing how like these players are navigating that, and whether it's with the rapping, the questionable rapping, honestly, and other things, I don't know. But it's just interesting to me to see how different it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no, I mean, like think of like if Zach Svida had a fit at the San Jose or Sacramento Challenger. We'd all know about it, and it's just like that would not be fun for the young American. So I, I completely agree with you. It's just a different time. It's it's more different. I mean, look at Coco Golf. Every forehand, every second serve, it's analyzed, and you know I can only imagine how frustrating that must get. But it helps. It you know it's it's reassuring to see the way these uh, players have responded. And yeah, it's a really exciting time I think to be a fan of men's tennis, and it is always an exciting time for both me and I like to think our Crack Rackets fans as well when they get to hear from you to mine. So for those of them out there who don't know where to follow you, read all of your stuff, can you let them know? Yes. Um, I mean, follow me on Twitter, Tum, Tum Cario. Uh, 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 go on to The Guardian, read my articles, please. <laughs> um, and yeah, just, yeah, that, that's where you'll find me. And yeah, thanks for thanks for having me again. It's, it's, it's always great to talk tennis with you. And I'm sure I'll be, I'll be returning as, with more trophies soon. <laughs> yeah the victoria azarenka of this experience for sure uh no just remember the next time ben texts you say sorry alex has me exclusively um and yeah that way he that way he gets the message sent um no obviously it is always such a pleasure for me to mind so stay safe stay healthy we'll talk to you again soon you too thank you Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the Guardians to Monte Cariole. Again, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat with us. It's always a pleasure to have him on the show. And so obviously, uh, again, a huge thank you to him. Be sure to go follow him on Twitter. Read his work at The Guardian, one of the best in the business. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Of course, there is so much going on in the tennis world, as we just alluded to during that conversation. If you have missed any of the action, the matches in New York, or anything else going on in the tennis world be sure to check out our website crackedrackets.com every day we're going on the mini break podcast talking about what we saw talking about some of the storylines that have emerged of course we're offering our picks every morning for how the day's action is going to unfold on our gsp aces of the day you want to play along with us just go to our friends at draftkings dkng.co slash cracked open be sure to check out our youtube channel as well like rate subscribe review there to this podcast the mini break cracked interviews and Inside Out podcast as well. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westa for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this possible also a huge shout out to our patreon subscribers again without whom uh we wouldn't be able to do this you know the support you guys give us day in day out not just the monetary support but more importantly to know we have a group that backs us all the time can't tell you how much i appreciate that uh for those of you who are interested go to patreon.com check out cracked rackets we'd love again any of you who'd be willing to do so also be on the lookout for those of you who are looking to get in on some action 
action. You're inspired by this U.S. Open. A couple of Crack Racket Open events coming up. You can play those tournaments. One going to be, okay, I think, two of them at Butler. I believe one of them in Ohio. So, you know, go check out that sign-up information, which you can find, again, on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Uh, but with that being said, for my wonderful guests, Tumani Cariel, our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.